0: And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all around hiring guru. And you know, it is my absolute delight to bring to you top notch thought leaders and professionals to help you on your job search or to help you build a better culture within your organization and I have got a real treat for you today. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Commander Guy Snodgrass, former Navy fighter pilot, yep, senior level Pentagon official and CEO of Defense Analytics. Guy is also the author of Top Gun's Top 10 Leadership Lessons from the Cockpit, which teaches readers how which, which teaches readers how to be leaders in their personal and professional lives. Guy, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, Casey, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, This is such an honor. It's not every day that we get a former fighter pilot on the show.
1: Oh, hey, uh, yeah, I mean, it was funny because when I was a fighter pilot, you know, you're hanging out with people just like yourself. You didn't think much of it. Uh, It was certainly great to have a chance to serve the country in that fashion, but it's also been great to transition out of uniform and back to the private sector because that teaches a lot of great lessons as well.
0: Absolutely. So one of the things I like to start the show with is to tell everybody how we got connected because I know you believe this and I am certainly a huge proponent of how important networking and connecting is. So how did we get connected?
1: Yeah, we got connected through Success North Dallas and Bill Wallace. So Bill had reached out to me through another network had said, you have a really interesting story, guy. We'd like to have you be a speaker for Success North Dallas in person. And so I had a chance to do that a few uh, weeks ago, and then you and I connected that way. So uh, t- as you were, I'm sure gonna kind of really kind of hammer down on, it's uh, the importance of networks, having very diverse networks and having mm-hmm. being surrounded by great people. And to your point about the book, that's one of the chapters in the book as well, is about uh, always having those wingmen, people who can take care of you and, and you know have your back.
0: It, it, it is so important and i love that you said that because and even when you're networking like actually networking that's like one of the tenets that we go by is to always have a wingman because you never know when you're going to need to be saved you know
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean you just never know what's going to come your way and i think that if you ever needed anything in your life that would highlight that Uh, In recent years, of course, the coronavirus pandemic, I mean, Mm -hmm. that stressed not only us as uh, executives or as workers out, but it's also stressed out families and stressed out friends and communities. And so you really had a chance to to dig in a little bit deeper and to and to see uh, very in a very real and tangible way how those connections and how those networks can be very beneficial as we
0: had to learn and adapt and change on the fly very quickly absolutely absolutely so i just want to dig in really quickly because we are going to talk about the networking a little bit later but i've got a quote from your book that reads top gun's precepts have served me well in and out of uniform especially during the most challenging times and particularly when the path forward was uncertain and you know of course you know this show is about helping our job seekers so how can others that are facing those um, uncertainty overcome that based on what you learned in the Navy?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple things there. And like you said, one of the, the biggest challenges I faced was when I was becoming a Top Gun instructor. I mean, it's, it's a six month long process to memorize a lot of material and you have to effectively uh, you know, regurgitate. You have to be able to have everything memorized incredibly well and then give that back. And so it was a very difficult process and I think one of the best pieces of advice that I received was just the reality that, look, as much as we'd all like to believe that we're in a very unique or special circumstance, guess what? There's been other gun instructors. They've successfully done this. So for wherever you are in whatever kind of transition you're in, maybe you're changing industries, maybe you're simply looking for a better opportunity in the marketplace. Uh, the reality is there's been, of course, millions of people who have successfully made that transition. So once again, I know we're gonna get there, but that's the importance of networks. It's the importance of having mentors and people you can pick up the phone or send an email or a text message to and just simply say, look, I know you've had a similar circumstance in your life. How did you successfully navigate it? And I think just as importantly, maybe more importantly, is the ability to say what What did you learn from the experience? What were some of those pitfalls you didn't see coming that you learned as you did that yourself so that the next person can avoid
0: those similar mistakes? What do you think was harder? Um, Becoming a fighter pilot or becoming an instructor?
1: Uh, It's a great question. I think becoming an instructor was tougher, not only because the bar is certainly higher to be a Top Gun instructor, but also because of the fact that, you know, when you're becoming a fighter pilot or just like in any industry, maybe you're becoming a CPA or you're becoming an attorney, uh, you have to demonstrate a baseline level of capability and skills and knowledge Mm -hmm. in order to do that. Once you're becoming an instructor, once you're becoming a teacher, you have to be an expert at what you're doing. And not only an expert, but others around you have to be able to say that you've got the goods, that you know what you're talking about. Otherwise you won't have credibility. So I think that while it was more challenging to become an instructor and a teacher, it's also far more fulfilling because you you really have to, to challenge yourself in the best possible way to become your best self, to, to know the material to be able to uh, effectively teach and train others to help them also achieve their goals.
0: And I think I remember correctly when I saw you speak the first time that you were talking about what you had to go through and just to kind of give a little context of this because how many hours of a presentation was it?
1: Yeah, mine, mine was uh, just about a five hour presentation over four different parts. And With- it was all from memorization. And that's, that was a challenge.
0: Yeah, it's like I'm so impressed with people that do TED talks, which you should totally do a TED talk. Um, but they, because they can do it for what 12 minutes without note cards, and I'm like, you did that for five hours. That's incredible.
1: That's <laughs> yeah, I've done a TEDx talk before, and uh, you know it was it was fascinating because you're right, you have to go for anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes and just do it for memorization. But uh, like anything, it's it's fascinating. You can take a lot of people from all walks of life. And it's really just breaking things down into those bite-sized chunks, right? And and I'll even do this myself. Sometimes you think about, especially if you're going to change jobs or change industries, it just seems so overwhelming at times, but okay, what's your plan? How do you break it into those bite-sized pieces so that you can basically have like a very simple to do checklist. And it's just very easy to start checking off these little small steps. And then suddenly at some point in the future, you realize, wow, I got to this really big goal, but I did it in a way that was very manageable. And something that I could get my arms wrapped around.
0: I love what you just said about that, about you know, the baby steps. I call them micro steps. And I actually designed a worksheet because I'm I'm big about writing down my goals, right? And I designed a worksheet for me that I am gonna make public at some point, where you know, I take the big goal at the top and then I take, you know, where, where are you gonna be okay if you hit this goal? Where are you gonna be, where do you really wanna be and what's your stretch goal, right? but then what's your first action item? And then what are the baby steps to get to that action item? And it has helped me so much to achieve my goals.
1: Yeah, well, look, I love that. The micro goals is a great way to look at this. I love that you have, uh, you know, kind of like what's your desired goal, but then maybe what's your stretch goal? What's What happens if you fall a little short? So it gives you some variability. Sometimes it's very easy for people to become Uh, disenfranchised or they become a little dis dishearted when they don't hit this very lofty goal. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're just graduated from college and you say, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. I mean, that's going to be pretty difficult to achieve. And 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 you don't want to set a goal that's going to be so far out of reach um, that, you know, so like you said, micro goals, setting things that are going to be very acceptable and help you along your way.
0: Absolutely. And I love that y'all do that. And I guess you have to in the military, have those goals set for you. But um, I just, I I wish that I could emphasize or I could share how important it is with the world, (laughs) so to speak, because I I don't think many people do that. I don't think many people write down their goals and really look at them. And that's why, I mean, if you don't have a target, how are you going to hit anything?
1: Yeah. You've got to have that target set up. And then I think the other, so there's really a couple things that differentiate people who frankly are winners and achievers and who will consistently find success in life versus those who will talk about finding success. And I think it's Mm -hmm. one of which we've already talked about, which is setting those goals. The second one is simply taking action. Um, you know, we've all been surrounded and, and I've been guilty just like a lot of others with saying, man, wouldn't it be great if, and then you have a lofty goal or you have something that you'd like to achieve, but you just don't start moving down that direction. And so one, just taking those steps. And so like, you're, like you alluded to with the first question you asked, you know, having the courage, finding the confidence to pursue those goals. And for me, especially my transition from the military to the private sector, a brand new situation, but really you just kind of sit there and say, look, there's, there's gonna be a lot of challenges, a lot of things I don't know, but I'm gonna learn along the way. I'm gonna find mentors who can help me out and I'm not gonna use a little bit of concern about how this might wind out as an easy excuse not to be very successful with this transition.
0: Absolutely, and just to kind of bring that back home, you know, we talked about unser- dealing with uncertainty in general, but in especially right now, with us coming on the tail end of a pandemic, you know, how might one, a job seeker, you know, deal with that uncertainty when going for a new role?
1: I think in some respects, if you take a look at what is happening right now in the marketplace, it's actually a really good time to make some of those moves you might have been Mm -hmm. thinking about. Uh, We're hearing, you know, I work with a lot of different Fortune 500 companies, uh, smaller companies here locally. And what you hear is that it's been actually kind of challenging to hang on to workers because some want to remain remote. Um, So I think you're going to see a lot of people moving jobs and that provides a phenomenal opportunity because that means either A, the company you're with is looking to fill some some vacancies that have come about because of the pandemic. And that may give you a chance to explore new opportunities that you wanted within the same industry or within the same organization. But if you were looking to make a change, I think it gives you an opportunity there too, because a lot of these companies are looking uh, to fill these this shortage in jobs. And so it, it just gives you a great opportunity to maybe set a little bit more in in today's environment, the terms of your employment than you would have maybe three or four years ago.
0: I could not agree with you more and I have talked to so many people and you know it's my job to talk to people about finding a new job right that's what I do for a living and it's been so interesting to me the shift in that conversation because now people are like really holding the line like you know if they want to work remote they're like I'm not accepting anything unless it's remote and this is why you know because and i can just tell you about one instance it's a, you know a candidate his mother lives in new york city and he's like i want to be remote so that i can go spend a month at a time with her if i need to or want to he goes and i can do that i can do my work remotely so interesting dynamics and in the questions we're having to ask candidates nowadays but we've also seen a lot of those pivots people who have been like i don't even like what i'm doing anymore and they've had that time to do that reflection
1: Exactly. And reflection time is so critically important. I mean, I think we've all uh, found ourselves, I mean, especially if you happen to be, let's say you're married and you have young children and you're just, mm-hmm. you feel like you're rushing from event to event to event throughout your life. And it can make it very difficult just to pull away and really think about who you are, what excites you, what do you want to pursue in the next uh, you know few years, if not even the next few months. And so the pandemic has also, I think, given people a chance to slow down, to really consider what's important for them and what gets them excited and ready to wake up in the morning and hit the ground running.
0: I love that you just said that, and let me tell you why. Because one of the questions I always ask my candidates as I'm getting to know them is aside from money and aside from location, what's gonna make you excited to get up and go to work tomorrow? And I get such a better idea of what they're looking for by using that question. And I love that you're saying the same thing.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. You have to have those intangibles because uh, money, like you said, money alone is not going to make it hap- uh, make you happy mm-hmm. at the end of the day. That's
0: for sure. Absolutely. So, you have well, you have a lot of great sayings in your book. But this, the next one I want to talk about is you. You say in your book, "Lose sight, lose the fight." So, what does this mean? How did you come up with this? And how might this apply to people looking for a new job?
1: Sure. So, in the in the military, and specifically, you know, as a top gun pilot. Uh, lose sight, lose the fight really meant that if you were in a dogfight with another airplane, the world's worst place to be is if you can't see them anymore because you can't respond to the environment. You don't know what they're doing. And so you're not effective at at your job in this case, which is dogfighting. And that also allows the other aircraft to get in behind you. And then especially in training, you know, get that simulated kill, if you will. So I like that term also for this environment and for job seekers and for for those who are in the workplace, because once again, it, it, you have to keep the main thing the main thing. So really, lose sight, lose the fight. In this case, would mean you know stay you know very focused on those goals. And so, if you're in a job right now, you know what are your organizational goals? As if you're you know everyone's a leader in some form or fashion. So what are your leadership goals? What are you striving for? And, and Casey, this gets right back to what you said a few minutes ago about having those micro goals, having something you're shooting for, because if you don't have that, you're kind of rudderless. You know, you you can't get yourself back on track if you find yourself pushed off course. That's the great thing about having those strategic goals is that if you find yourself pushed off course, something doesn't go your way, well, you always know how to adjust because you Mm -hmm. know where you're trying to, to wind up. What is your ultimate destination?
0: Well, and I think too, I think with, you know, the course correcting, sometimes you might need to kind of go a different direction, right? And and you need to be able to give yourself that grace and that flexibility to make those course corrections while trying to hit that goal and and, and always evaluating that goal to make sure that it is still a viable goal. Like, I mean, I know for me, I've had one goal. I'm not even going to tell you what it is because I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's not working out. (laughs) I'm just not invested in (laughs) it. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's another saying in the book, uh, don't confuse activity with progress.
0: I was going to ask so about another that. Another way
1: I've said Yeah, another way I've said that in the past is, you know, I've always seen uh, organizations or people who get stuck uh, at 5000 rpm in first gear, which is just a fancy way of saying there's there's a lot of things happening, you know, the engine's going fast and it sounds great, but the car's going 5 miles per hour, right? Yeah. So, uh, the same thing here with don't confuse activity with progress. Um, It's so very easy to do a lot of busy work. You're answering a ton of emails, you're holding meetings, and you you sit back at the end of the day at five o'clock and go, whew, that was a long day, but what did you really accomplish? And I think that you can do that as a a single person. You can find yourself uh, setting yourself up for failure because you're focused on all those little tasks as opposed to those goals and that strategic outcome, the bigger picture outcome you're trying to achieve, and organizations as well, because we've all worked at one point or another for. For a company or a team that just has a ton of these meetings, but it doesn't give you enough time throughout the day to actually do the real work. And so you always have to make that, that value-based assessment of how are things working right now? How can you adjust? How can you make things better? And I would say, don't let the status quo hold you back. Just because something is the way you're doing it today doesn't mean that you have to do it that same way next week or next month or next year. So there's always room to improve and make the situation better.
0: That is so good. And I just wish I could rewind for just a second. You don't have to stick with the status quo. You can do things differently. It's okay.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, one of the worst answers I was a senior leader in the US Navy and
0: then the military.
1: One of the worst uh, responses I'd ever get from anybody when I asked a question was, you know, why do we do it this way? And they're like, well, just because we've always done it this way. You know, Mm. and it was like, wow, that's such a kind of a lazy answer because. What it's really telling you is that the reason why it's happening that way isn't aligned with the goal. It's not aligned with the resources. Yep. You want to make sure that it's always tailored and targeted.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I'm working with a company right now that they are fighting that right now because they were spun off from a bigger company, and but a lot of the people came with them, and they still they took all that culture from the original company to the new company. And it's driving, you know, the leadership team crazy. And they're like, why are you doing it that way? And they're like, because we've always done it that way. And they're like, but you don't have to do it that way anymore, you know? So I think that is so spot on.
1: And sometimes, you know, and i found a lot of success here and everyone's mileage may vary, but I've, I've really loved being in kind of that consultant sector, if you will, because it gives you a few advantages. One, you work with a lot of different organizations and people and companies. So you get a chance to see some of those best practices. But it's also very beneficial for the companies themselves, because sometimes, you know, you just get stuck in this, in this rut of, like you said, doing things because we've always done it that way, or it's tougher to make decisions because you don't want to put someone maybe in a precarious spot. And so if you can come in as an, as an outside observer, you can help them with their business processes and, and, you know, you can be a truth teller. And I've really enjoyed that aspect of my transformation from, like I said, uniform to the private sector.
0: I, I love that, and I couldn't agree with you more. So I'm sure that being in the cockpit of a fighter pilot, how fast do you guys fly?
1: Oh man, it varies. Uh, typically, we're going just below the speed of sound.
0: Oh, that is crazy. How how did you stay <laughs> calm? By the way, I don't like to fly. You need to know that. <laughs> so okay, <laughs> I'm one of those I, on the plane. Gentle. It'd be fun.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't believe you. No, no, it- <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's a, it was a blast, and it's like everything in life—you just get used to it. I mean, I'll never forget when I first started flying; I'd actually get sick in the aircraft because you're just—it's so dynamic. You're moving so fast, and you're doing these flips and and turns and everything else. And it, like the first month that I flew, I it it took me a while. But then once you get used to it, it was it was not a big deal. It was kind of like riding a bicycle. Hmm.
0: Okay. <laughs> With bombs on your belt. Yeah, take my word for it. <laughs> so how, what, what techniques did you use? How did you stay calm in the cockpit? Because you had to be like uber calm.
1: You do. You do. In fact, that came up as an interview question. I was, I was competing to be a part of this uh, organization called the White House Fellows. And there's a retired army general named Wes Clark, uh, who was kind of famous back in the 2000s. He'd done a lot of interesting stuff during the Kosovo War and had had uh, become a democratic nominee for president, et cetera. So anyway, he had that same question. Here's a guy who had been shot multiple times in combat and he was transfixed by, man, as a fighter pilot, how in the world do you land on an aircraft carrier? How do you stay calm when everything's going bad? And I think the, the easiest answer is because you have no other choice. You know that if you lose control or if you let your emotions take over, that you're gonna make bad decisions and that's not gonna be good for you. It's not gonna be good for your organization or for the people on the aircraft carrier, right? I mean, you're, going to, you're going to, a bad situation will develop. And so one of the stories I share in the book is about staying calm under pressure. It's when I had one of my engines explode in the aircraft. The, the F-18 I was flying, it has two engines and the right one exploded. And so you had to not only save your own life in the aircraft, but you had to find a safe place to land so that you don't put civilians or anybody else at risk. And, and again, I think that's what's so great sometimes about Uh, in this case, the military training is that that's like step number one, it's just to uh, remain calm to just think very clearly, because if you let yourself get drawn in, then that's when you start making bad decisions. And and I think a good saying that goes along with it that I'd heard during my time in uniform was uh, that emotion is the enemy of good judgment. And so I found that that is very true in the business setting as well, or as someone who's transitioning into a new sector. Sometimes it's easy to take things personally, sometimes it's easy to, uh, like we're kind of hinting at early on, maybe you get a rejection, maybe you've applied for some jobs and it's not going well and you start taking it personally. Well, guess what, it's it's not personal. And so just stay calm, stay fixated and focused on, the, on what you want to achieve and constantly be working with your network to help bring it to reality. <laughs>
0: You know, and I love what you just said. I've I've loved everything you said. I'm going to quit telling you that I love what you say. Um, (laughs) But it's so true because, you know, that rejection that a lot of our job seekers get and they may get it multiple times and then they start to get desperate and they get that desperate look on their face. And, you know, and I try to coach my candidates. I'm like, you know, desperate isn't pretty. You are so less likely to get hired if desperation is like eking through, you know, your pores. So, you know, and I'm curious though, and I'm not saying that you were ever desperate, but how would you, what would you say to the job seeker who has faced multiple rejection? They're just, you know, they're not staying calm under pressure. Is, is there a quick technique you could give them or something to help them like right before they go interview?
1: Yeah, I mean, it really is just, well, one, it's a learned attribute. Uh, if you take where I am today, you know, I do a lot of interviews, I do a, a lot of speeches, et cetera. Um, if you had rewound that clock to when I was say in high school or college, yeah, uh, you know, I had stage fright. I was not comfortable getting in front of a group. I never liked you know, the focus of attention being on me. It made me very uncomfortable. You get real red, start getting sweaty. So it's a similar premise, which is just the best way to counteract that is to put yourself into those situations, to learn to be comfortable with it. And frankly, one of the best ways to become more comfortable with rejection is to, as we were talking about previously with with setting some aggressive goals, we'll set some of those lofty goals. Maybe you deliberately set a goal that you know is gonna be very difficult to achieve because it's gonna put you in a situation where you will fail. But then you have to accept that, you have to adjust, you have to adapt. And I think it's the same type of premise for that organization called Toastmasters, right? Mm -hmm. It's for people who want to become better public speakers. Well, guess what? The best way to do that is to continually put yourself in a situation where it's incredibly uncomfortable. You have to give an impromptu speech, but because you do it over and over again, You just get used to it. And so, uh, one, put yourself into situations over time that stretch you and make you uh, grow as a person. It'll make you a better candidate as well. And then I think right before you go into an interview or something else, just realize there have been millions of people in the same situation. They've successfully navigated it and so will you.
0: And I think that is so beautiful. And I just wanna add something that one of my mentors gave to me that has really, once I embraced the concept, it's really kind of changed everything that I do. And, and I was just going on and on about why somebody was thinking some way about me one day. And, and I think this applies to job seekers too, like when you get rejected. And she looked at me and she goes, Casey, it is none of your business what other people think about you. And I went, oh, I thought that was so beautiful. It is none of my business what other people think about me. I can't control it. And I think that yeah. when you get to that level of, you know, understanding, it just, it's so freeing. Yeah, I agree with you 100%.
1: And there's another great quote that I've always loved, which comes from Eleanor Roosevelt, the former first lady. She had said that you'd care a lot less what other people think about you when you realize how little they do. So not only do you not have the right to know what they think, but guess what? Most people aren't really talking about you as much as you might think. So uh, once again, it's, it's kind of that just embrace being fearless Uh, the way I've I've always thought about it is to become uh, comfortable being uncomfortable. Put yourself in those situations, uh, challenge yourself. And you know, that's how, if you look at some of these individuals who've really accomplished some great things in their lives, it's because they got comfortable being uncomfortable. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you try to just stay with the status quo, it's very, if you do the same thing as everyone else, it's very hard to get a different result than everyone else.
0: That is so true, so true. And I could go down a whole rabbit hole on that topic, so I won't. <laughs> so I wanna go back to the power of networking, because I know you talk about this in your book and you've obviously built a strong network over your career. Um, you know, How has this helped you by building that strong network? Yeah, I think
1: in my case, uh, twofold. One, I always challenged myself while I was still in uniform to do very unique things to do something out of the box, because it's very easy, for example, if you're a fighter pilot, to just stay around other fighter pilots day in and day out for your entire career. Uh, I didn't want that because I one, I was intellectually curious. I wanted to see what other uh, groups and industries and organizations did. So I worked a lot with think tanks. I had a chance to work with different presidential administrations, uh, got out into industry and got to know some CEOs there as well. And so it was actually fairly easy because when you were in the military, people just saw you as, oh, this, this, this person is just interested in what I do. But then when I made that leap from uniform to the private sector, it just meant that I had a really broad Rolodex. People I could call up and say, hey, I'm, I'm in the middle of this transformation into a different stage of my career. What do you recommend? You know, How did you navigate similar things? And I think that that's a, Having that diverse network, one, gives you access to a lot of different people. You can ask for their support and help. And nine times out of 10, you're gonna find that they are willing to take the time to help you because they want to invest a little bit of, uh, of themselves into you um, and teach you what they've learned along the way. But it also opens doors because a lot of times these people, if they're impressed with you, they'll pick up the phone on, on their end and they'll call someone and say, hey, you should take a look at Guy or you should take a look at Casey. You know I mean? They're gonna bring something that I know you're looking for. And so you're really in a lot of respects before you've even walked in for an interview, you've already created the conditions mm-hmm. for success, for success because of your network.
0: Absolutely. You know, and that's one of the first things that I mention to candidates when I'm talking to them is like how's your networking? Because most of the jobs that are out there, they're kind of like on the dark web. They they're not posted. They don't nobody knows about them except for the people that are hiring and maybe some of their staff who tell some of their friends who may tell some of their friends. And so, and that's how you find out about those jobs. It's not because they're posted anywhere. And so you have to nurture that network and you have to nurture it before you need it.
1: Yeah, in fact, that is actually one of the the names of the chapters in the book is, don't wait to make a friend until you need one. it's that same principle, which is uh, we've all experienced people in our lives who are absolutely transactional. You know, they only come to you and say hello or treat you well when they want something. Yep. Um, so the people I've always gravitated towards are the ones who are just genuinely great people, because when they do a year, five years, 10 years down the road, say, hey, by the way, I am in a spot now, could I, could I ask for some help? You, you're more than willing to. And so I think that's really just that element of, of investing in others, just as much as you're inv- investing in yourself. And you'll find that that time uh, and will pay dividends down the road.
0: I, I think, have you read the book, The Go-Giver? I have not, no. Oh, it's a great book. But it's basically, that's what it talks about is the principle of give and take, right? It's like, you can't give and not take. I heard something on a podcast the other day. It's like, you can't, if you breathe in, you have to breathe out. That's the same principle as give and take. And so, and I think that's what your network needs to be based on. You need to have that trust and that relationship with those people where you give and you take, but you don't do one or the other all the time.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, um, in fact, a, a friend and another person in my network up in New York City, he started a company. He's been like the serial entrepreneur. He's done very well with it. He has another company right now called 51 Labs. And basically the whole premise is that in any relationship, you always give 51% because that, that extra 1% means that you're always giving just a little bit more than you're receiving, but you're still going to receive just as much over time in return. And so it's just a way of Uh, much like we just discussed about not waiting to make a friend until you need one.
0: Well, and I think, so, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I hope you'll read the book. It's a great book. Um, It's real quick too. So, Um, good. So what's helped you the most throughout your transition from uniform to civilian life?
1: I think that the biggest help would be you know, I guess there's a lot of different things that go under this. Um, you know, you've got your network, you have uh, your knowledge base and, you know, your desire, et cetera. I think if you were to encapsulate what really has made the biggest difference and what's kind of that foundation, I, the easiest way to say it is that that learning attitude. And so that, because all the other things, the networking and getting smart about the job you want to interview for, it falls underneath it. Mm-hmm. So always, always strive to remain, you know, an intellectually curious, because especially in today's environment with smartphones and computers and, and everything you can find on the web, uh, you know, there's no excuse to ever go into any circum- you know, situation, especially if you're job hunting, not knowing about the organization, not knowing about the persons or people you're interviewing with, you can prepare so well. And it's amazing, even in today's environment, how many people will walk in not prepared. I just had a conversation earlier today with an executive vice president who was doing a job search for her EA And she said, man, you'd be surprised by the number of candidates who walked in and just really didn't know much about me or what the job was about. And the person who did get the job, he impressed her because he was very well researched and knew exactly what her needs were. And so I think, again, it's just being proactive, having a strategy and bringing it all together. And so that's where your network and all these things we've talked about can come into play.
0: That is amazing. And it's so interesting to me, you know, as I speak with thought leaders like yourself and people that have had these amazing careers, that's one of the things I hear the most, is it's your network?
1: Yeah, it's your network. And I'd say, um, you know, I, if I, now that I'm thinking about what we just discussed, I think a, a big part of all of this finding success is preparation. Mm. You know, a lot of times people will ask me, hey, you know, Guy, you've, you've done well. Um, how do you start your day? Do you have like a consistent thing you do every morning to get yourself charged up and ready to go? And I I think that's a great question. And usually my answer is actually it's the night prior. That's where Mm. my success is. Uh, I've heard people call it a second shift. I've heard people call it, uh, you know, kind of burning that midnight oil to get ready. But I always use the night prior to look ahead. What's on my calendar? What meetings do I have? uh, You know, How can I prepare tonight? Because I think unconsciously when you sleep, you're already kind of thinking through some of those issues. But it just means that when you wake up the next morning, you're never rushed. You, you've you got everything laid out for you. Uh, and especially when I know I'm gonna have a busy day, I mean, it's great because my calendar's already been thought through, my clothes for the next day are laid out. I mean, basically you're ready to just wake up and go. And so you can set up for success just by prep, by preparing and, and always thinking about preparation.
0: And I think that is so true as well, the preparation piece. I, I love that you kind of bubbled that back up to the top. So. Believe it or not, we are almost out of time.
1: Now, this has been great. Thanks so uh, much for having me on. I really enjoyed it.
0: I know, but before we go, you don't get away without answering our VIP questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you?
1: Oh, man, I think I'd want to take Matt Damon because as he proved in the movie, The Martian, he knows how to survive on Mars with nothing but like potatoes and some Mars <laughs> rovers and stuff. Um, no, it's a really good question. And so, um, you know, as far as things you'd want to take with you, uh, you know, I think the knowledge aspect is so important. So you, you kind of want to have your Kindle with you, right, charged up with books and ready to go. You'd certainly want to have one of your really close friends and confidant because you're going to need someone to uh, make it through that experience with. And then I think the third thing I'd want to take with me would be uh, almost like, you know, basically my video recorder. So you can, you know, your iPhone or whatever, because now you can record the experience because it's going to be something that's going to be incredibly useful as you go down the road. And as you've I talked about, you know, we're talking about the Top Gun book. That's my second book. I think there's just something so important about when you have experienced something. And that's what I love about your podcast, uh, podcast Casey, is the fact that you obviously have such a really good experience base and a window into what can help make people successful. And so you're sharing that with others, right? Mm -hmm. You're paying that forward by helping others in their careers. So um, being able to record the experience and then subsequently share it with others to help enrich their lives, I think would be really important.
0: I think that's beautiful. And Matt Damon's very popular, by the way, in that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you've kind of already answered this question, but I'm gonna ask it again and I'm gonna limit you on it, okay? okay? So what is one thing you do each morning, not the night before, each morning to set your day up for success? All right, so
1: if I can't say anything about the day prior, I think I always set aside time in the morning. So I typically tend to get up early and I always set aside at least half an hour, maybe a little bit longer, just to think, to reflect, to to consider what I'm really trying to achieve in any given day. Because once again, I mean, it's so easy. We've all been there before where you roll out of bed, you immediately jump in the shower, Mm -hmm. you get dressed. Now you're having your cup of coffee and you're running Yep. to take the kids to school or you're running to get to the, to the job site or, or actively engaged. And so finding that 30 minutes, sometimes even 15 minutes just to think about, okay, what are the big three or four things I'm going to accomplish today? And that way you'll find that throughout the day, you're going to hit those marks. You're going to hit those goals because they're important to you.
0: That is beautiful. I do something very similar, by the way. We're going to have to talk when we're done with the podcast. (laughs) Um, Okay. so my final question is, if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be?
1: Yeah, I guess I'll uh, I'll poke a little fun at myself just because, and I'll I'll explain why. It'd be something along the lines of probably like, uh, local idiot works really hard, makes it big, right? (laughs) Because when I think back to high school, when I think back to college, I was nothing special. I mean, frankly, I mean, you know, but the thing that really made the difference was just always sticking with it. It was, it was perseverance, right? So, um, that to me, so I'm, you know, I'm having fun with the title, but it's one of those things where it's like, you could be completely average at the start, but because you're willing to prepare, you're willing to invest in yourself intellectually, you read a lot of books, you want to get smart. There's so many things you can do to tilt the scales in your favor. Um, that will really make a huge difference. And it doesn't require a ton of hard work per se, but it does have to require a lot of preparation and a plan to help
0: bring it to fruition. That is so beautiful. I just, I love what you just said there. I really do. I mean, it's like you're, it's like you're speaking my words and I'm, I love it, it's great. And I hope, I know that our listeners are gonna go back. They're gonna get so much little golden nuggets out of this. Um, how do they find you? How do they find your book?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So the book is available on Amazon. It's available in stores at Barnes and Noble so people can walk in and snag one. Um, And I really would ask that they do. Uh, I've got my own website uh, that's geared towards this book. It's just my first and last com, So guysnodgrass.com. And I'm, of course, on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out. I always love engaging in conversations. And I frankly learned that the the more diverse your network, right? The more Mm -hmm. I I meet someone new, uh, I learn just as much as from you as you might from me.
0: That's so beautiful. Guy, thank you so much for your time and for being so generous with your knowledge with us today. I just have one more thing to say to you. Okay. You are a VIP. All right,
1: well, thanks, Casey. Thanks so much for the invitation to be with you and to spend this time with you and with your audience.
0: And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.